God, we thank you that, Lord, you carry us in your arms and we're safe, Lord, in your arms. And, and God, in our salvation that you've given us, Lord, in the faith that we have in you and believing in you, Lord Jesus, and what you've done on the cross, we can know for sure your word tells us for sure that if something were to happen to us and we were to pass, that we would be with you in heaven. And I thank you for that comfort. And with that, Lord, we have new life. And with that, we can live for you. And God, continue to help us to live for you. And through your word today, God, speak to us. Lord, help us, Lord, to, to really make that commitment and surrender ourselves to you. And not wanting our own will anymore but wanting yours and embracing that fully. So God, as we open your word, speak to us. May your Holy Spirit anoint this time and may you communicate, convict, Lord. May you bring us and draw us closer and into a deeper, deeper walk with you. So we give this all over to you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, in this article I read, a a Kansas City pastor posted a picture on Twitter of this eight-month, eight-month-year-old baby receiving a pat-down by TSA agents at a Kansas City airport. I don't know if you caught that years ago. I mean, uh, I remember that too. And as you can imagine, this tweet went viral, right? The TSA responded by saying, we reviewed the screening of this family and found that the child's stroller alarmed uh, uh, alarmed the agents uh, during this explosive screening. So our officers follow proper current screening procedures. Well, I mean, that's good, right? I mean, for our safety, it's good. For the security of all other travelers, the TSA has to screen everyone, even with kids, and they have to go through their procedures uh, because, you know, the, it keeps us safe in that way. And so for the sake of safety and security, they had to do the screening. But, as this pastor said, I do believe there has to be a line drawn. I do not believe that an eight-month-old constitutes a security threat. <laughs> kind of interesting. Uh, did, you know, whatever you think in that, I mean, we kind of question, well, did TSA go too far in that instance? You know, patting down the little infant, you know, I saw the pictures kind of, well, that's a little bit too far, I think. Well, as we return to our study here in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul warns the Corinthian believers to not take their Christian freedoms, their liberties, too far. Even with that liberty in Christ, there needs to be a line drawn. There is a certain point that we cannot cross. So I titled our message this morning, Don't Take It Too Far. Don't Take It Too Far. We're studying this morning 1 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 14. We're going to finish the chapter and cross over and take one verse. It's actually one set. So we're going to go from 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to chapter 11, verse 1. Our outline this morning is this, number one, the dangerous rituals. Number two, the deciding factor. And number three, the denying of self. So our title again, don't take it too far. Let's take a look. Number one in our outline is the dangerous rituals. The dangerous rituals. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 14. It says here, therefore, my beloved, flee from 
idolatry. And we'll stop there. We begin with therefore, and again, we saw that last time, didn't we? That therefore connects us to what was written right before that. Now, remember last week we saw, I titled, How to Beat Temptation. If you missed that, grab the CD. And we ended in verse 13, how God always makes a way of escape out of our temptation so we do not fall into sin. So here, Paul goes on to say, hey, take that way out. Take the way out. Therefore, since God always gives us a way out, my beloved, flee. Flee from idolatry. Run. Get out. Get out of there. But specifically, we're talking about idolatry. Now, in this section that we're studying this morning from verse 14 all the way to chapter 11, verse 1, it's actually the last part of this whole section he's been talking and writing about since chapter 8. Remember, Paul addressed the issue we began in chapter 8 of eating meat offered to idols. Some people were like, no way, you shouldn't do that. This, this meat was offered to an idol, you shouldn't eat it. Others were like, it's just meat. It's okay. We have the freedom in Christ to eat that meat. We're not under the legalistic law anymore. We're saved through Christ and, and all of that. So it's all right. So you had these two camps in the, in the church of Corinth there, and they was causing division. And so we saw in chapter 8, Paul's like, hey, rather than push your thing like, well, I know it's okay, or I, don't, I know it's not, and pushing your quote-unquote knowledge, you should be understanding to each other and show love. And that's basically what we saw in chapter 8. Then when we went to chapter 9, Paul gave himself as an example to lay down your rights, like he did with, with uh, his honorarium, with his his missionary pastor pay that with the Corinthian church he didn't even ask for them he did everything for free not even though he had the right to as an apostle to receive funds for his living he said no I'm gonna lay down my rights and you know what that's what we need to do we need to lay down our rights show love in this issue then at the end of chapter 9 you remember believers were to be running to win Remember that? That was our title. And what was he talking, talking about? Well, like an athlete, you deny yourself, yeah? You discipline yourself in your training and your race. And really, that, that, that's the idea. That's the theme throughout these chapters, right? Deny yourself. Don't push yourself. Lay down your rights. Show love. Don't let it be about you and what you think and your knowledge and all this stuff. In this gray area where we come into Christian liberties, you know what? We need to humble ourselves. And, and deny ourselves. So in chapter 9, like a runner, deny yourself. Then going into chapter 10, remember Paul used Israel as an example, example that after all God did for them in the wilderness, right? All the miracles, rescuing them, uh, freeing them from bondage, the Red Sea, everything, providing for them. After all that, what did they do? They thought about themselves, right? They were tempted by their own flesh and they fell into their self and they complained to the Lord. And Paul's like, don't be like that. And then last time, uh, last week, verse 12 and 13, so don't fall into temptation. Don't be overconfident, right? Therefore, take heed lest you fall. Don't think, I'm okay. I'm all right with that overconfidence. You know what? Handle the temptation of not denying yourself, of being selfish, all that. Any kind of temptation, handle it through how God wants you to handle it. And that's, yeah, it makes a way of escape. Now, if you miss any of those CDs, you can grab them and follow along. But here we come to really the end of this whole talk that Paul is saying, has been writing about. So, okay, Paul says here, 
therefore. In other words, since God gives a way out, then flee, run away. The word flee here means run away. The idea is to get away fast from danger. Don't get overconfident here like, I can make it. I can stand. I, can, I, I, I have no problem. And what's the danger? Idolatry. Idolatry. So Paul says, therefore, hey, flee idolatry. And what's this idolatry? In other words, Paul's talking about the worship of pagan idols. That's the idea. Really like participating in that worship. So Paul is saying, don't have anything to do with the dangerous rituals of like giving worship to idols at pagan temples. And this is really what he's bringing out in his focus here. You know, last December 24th, probably most of you, if not all of you, were here at a Christmas Eve celebration, right? Our baby luau for Jesus. We were over there at Tavares Community Center across from Fulan. And, and, you know, in that same center at Tavares Community, right, many families have their baby luau. Right? So that was our idea. Hey, let's go there and we'll have our baby Luau, but it's for Jesus. It's for his birthday. We celebrate Christmas Eve, and that's why we call it, you know, baby Luau for Jesus. It's for our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Well, in the city of Corinth, many of these family parties were done at the pagan temples. It was like that was the community center. You know, they would have... Uh, baby luau's, well, I don't know if they had that, but you know, like that. They'd have concerts, they'd have their work parties, they'll have classes, they'll have like Zumba over there. <laughs> well, maybe, but ancient Zumba, but you get the idea. So many times, you know, you go to some party, your work party, your family party, and there's baby luau over there. But since it's at the temple, many times when they got together before the party started, a little offering was made to the idol in that temple. Little maybe pinch of incense, you know, a little meat offering or something. You know, just in, in respect and use of that, that facility, at, you know, right there at the beginning of the function. Well, this was Paul's concern. Don't take your Christian liberties that far. Don't partake in anything like that. You should, do not, you should not do that. Well, why is that? Why would Paul say that? Well, this is what we're going to see in the next section. Paul's going to explain why to the Corinthian believers. Verse 15, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. So he's writing to the Corinthian believers. He's saying, you know, I speak to you like wise men, as like sensible people. Understand the logic about this. Think about what I'm going to see. See, he's basically saying, you know, it's one thing to buy meat offered to an idol at the, mar at the temple marketplace, which we talked about in chapter 8, and eat it. It's one thing, but it's another thing to really partake in that worship. S flee from idolatry. Flee from the idols. We know the first commandment, Deuteronomy 5, 7 says, you shall have no other gods before me. Before me means in preference of. God is to be first. We just studied that last Wednesday night in Deuteronomy. Uh, 1 John 5, 21 says, keep yourselves from idols. In other words, have nothing to do with its worship, with idol worship. So Paul is saying, Understand this. You guys got to think about this. You understand this. I mean, logically be sensible about this. And so Paul goes on. He says, think about this now. How? Verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of 
Christ. So Paul here brings up the cup of blessings, which is another word for the Lord's Supper or communion that we just partook of last Sunday. It's when we take the bread, when we take the cup, and we have communion. And, and did you know the word communion in the Greek is koinonia, koinonia. So you guys who, who've been studying the Bible understand that that means having common, having fellowship. We have koinonia together. We have fellowship with one another as believers. Well, Paul is saying, look, isn't that the communion of the blood of Christ? Isn't that the bread, the communion of the body of Christ? The idea is during the time of communion, we have this spiritual experience with Jesus, with the Lord himself. We have a spiritual experience with God. You see, communion isn't just some ritual. Right? It's not just something we do, the Lord told us. You know, it's, a, it's one of two rites, actually, the Lord told us. One was communion, one was baptism, water baptism. And so, you know, we do this in remembrance of me, he said. And so when we do that, it, it's not just some ritual. It's not a rite that we're supposed to do. No, it, it's like worshiping. It's like praying. It's like how we were spending time in the presence of the Lord this morning in worship, yeah? I don't know about you. Did you feel the Lord? Did you feel his spirit? That's the idea. He's saying, hey, when we take communion, we have the bread and a cup, it's this experience we have with the Lord. And especially so in communion because we're focusing on the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So it's even more special. Now, some denominations say, well, you know what, communion, the Lord's Supper, it's only a memorial. We're just doing a memorial, you know. But then on the other side of the spectrum, sorry to say, the Catholic Church says it's the transubstantiation. That's what they call it. Transubstantiation. What they believe is that the, the cup and the bread, it actually turns into Christ's body, the bread, and the, and, the, and the cup, the wine, I think they do, yeah? Turn, the, the, the juice or the wine turns into Christ's blood. So you're actually eating his uh, body and you're drinking his blood. <laughs> you know, kind of like weird zombie-like yeah, kind of thing. But that, that's their thought, and they actually look at this verse in, in saying that. But it isn't. It only represents that. You know, the, the, the bread, as we talked about, it represents his body given for us. And the, the cup, the juice, represents the blood. And we do it in remembrance of him. So there is a spiritual experience, but it's not going that far. On one end, it's not just a memorial, yeah, where it's just, okay, we remember Christ. You know, that's our, our ritual. But on the other end, it's not that the bread and cup turned in, into, literally into his body and we're like, yeah, eating Christ's body and drinking his blood. No, that's too weird to me. But what it is, is we have communion. We have fellowship. We have this experience with God himself during communion. And this is what Paul is talking about. This is what Paul is saying. I think it's too far to go this way and too far to go this way. I think the balance is, no, we have this experience with the Lord. And then Paul goes on in verse 17. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So the idea here is as we partake in communion together, that we actually become one. In our experience with the Lord, we actually become in this oneness, this united oneness, and we experience the Lord in this oneness, in this unity that we have as believers, as we're connected through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. You know, back then, they would take the bread and communion, break it off, yeah, and then pass it on. They take the cup and drink the cup and pass the cup 
you know, on. And some of you might go, oh, that's not sanitary. What if you're sick? I don't know, maybe if you're sick, you, you wouldn't drink the cup. But you understand, right? So in doing that, they believe is a Jewish, really, thing that they did that when they, you broke bread with someone and you shared the same loaf, you're like, you're like in fellowship. You're in communion. You're, you're like united in soul with the other person. That's how they, what they felt like. We're, we're really friends here. We're really, you know, connecting here. And that was the idea. So Paul's basically saying, hey, so though we're many, when we partake of that one bread, and, and like the body of Christ, you know, when we partake of that one bread, the juice, everything, you know, what? we become like one. And no wonder, think about it, we call this communion koinonia because we're experiencing this, this connection with Jesus and we're experiencing this connection with one another. John MacArthur said, when we properly share in communion, we spiritually participate in fellowship with Jesus Christ and other believers. So that's exactly what's going on. Isn't that great to understand? So, you know, first of the month, first Sunday, we always partake in communion. Understand that, that hey, we're, we're actually doing this together. We're connecting to one another. And if anything, we are ex- having this experience and connecting with God, with Jesus Christ there. So, in communion, we share this spiritual experience. And then Paul goes on now. He brings up Israel. Look at verse 18. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? So, Paul now brings another example. One was communion, the Lord's table. But now Paul brings up when the Israelites in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, they would bring the sacrifices to offer up to the Lord. And when they did that, he said, Israel after the flesh, which is talking about the people of Israel, back then, they would divide the portion of the meat that was offered. You know, one would go to the Lord, be burned up. One would go to the priest, and the leftover would go back to the people who gave the, the, the meat, who sacrificed, in, in, you know, the animal, and they would partake in that. And so in that way, they would be communing together. They would be connecting together. So Paul brings that up here. You remember in uh, Leviticus 9.24 when we studied that after the priests made their first offering and sacrifice after God instructed them what to do in the tabernacle out in the wilderness their first sacrifice and offering they made to the Lord. It says in 9.24 Leviticus fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it they shouted and fell on their faces. They saw God do this. This was this experience they had with the Lord. And so Paul's saying, yeah, even when they gave sacrifices, they were experiencing God right there in the wilderness. All right, so he goes on in verse 19 now. And he's bringing it all together in these two examples. Verse 19, he says, what am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is it offered to idols is anything? Rather, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Stop right there. So Paul is saying, hey, what am I trying to say with this? Am I actually saying that an idol is actually anything or, or something? Uh, is the meat that we give, you, you know, or, or not give, but the meat that we eat, is, is that really anything, the meat that had been offered to idols? No. I mean, the, the rhetorical and the answer to the rhetorical question is no. We learned in chapter 8, Paul said, they're nothing. The meat isn't nothing. It's just meat. Yeah. It, it's not an idol. It's just, it's just metal, you know, or wood. 
It's, it's nothing, right? It, it, it's not a God. It's not an entity. It's not a being. That actual, actual thing, you know, the, the, the piece of metal or wood. Paul says this, rather, rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice, what does it say here? Demons, not to God. Rather, these things, these sacrifices, the people actually taking these things which are nothing, but when they sacrifice it, when they offer it to this idol which is nothing, you know what they're really doing? They're offering it to demons, not God. What a statement, you guys, right? Behind now, the idol's nothing, yeah? The, the offering, you know, is nothing. But behind that is a demon. There's demons behind that. What a statement. Behind the idols in the world, think about it, is actually a demon pretending to be whatever that image and being supposed to be. It's a demon. That's what Paul is saying here. It's just a piece of metal, but behind that, it's a demon. In Psalm 106, 37, it says, they even sacrifice their sons and daughters to demons. It's speaking about how Israel fell and they began to worship the Canaanite god Molech. And Molech was this statue, a gold statue with his arms out, and they would actually, they, they would put a fire under it, heat up the arms, and he sacrificed, put the baby on that, and the baby would die and burn up on these arms. And so the Canaanites would do that, and Psalm 106 says, you know what? They're actually sacrificing to demons. It's demons behind these things. It's demons. The idol itself, nothing. The, whatever's the meat that's offered, it's, it's nothing. There's no good or bad with it. It's that act of sacrificing, of offering. That's what's bad. And that's what you're doing is you're worshiping that demon. No wonder Paul says, flee idolatry, Right? Well, he goes on in verse 20, he says, And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and, and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. So Paul is exhorting, look, I don't want you to have fellowship. It's, that word fellowship in the Greek is another form of the word koinonia. I don't, want to have, I don't want you guys to have that communion, that spiritual experience, that connection with demons. I don't want you to do that. When you're sacrificed that meat, when you put that pinch of incense in there before the, the family party, hey, don't do that. It's, because look, you can't like, hey, I experience God when I take the cup and the bread, right? And then you experience a demonic thing, you connect with that. You can't partake in the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, and the table, quote unquote, of demons. You cannot do that. So, Paul, think, think about it this way. Paul's saying this is the idea. Just as koinonia happens with believers and the Lord at communion, so that kind of koinonia happens with idols, with, with demons, when you do it with idols. Eating meat offered to idols, hey, no big deal. The meat is nothing. The idol is nothing. But eating meat is part of a pagan ritual. Now you're flirting with the demons. So those who took their liberty, their freedom, they went too far. They're like, ah, the meat's nothing, the idol's nothing, I'm just, I'm going to do, oh, I'm going to partake it. No, there's actually a demon behind that. Spiritually, it's not good. No wonder then Paul goes on to say in verse 22, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? He says, 
Are we going to do that to make God jealous, right? We are to not have no gods before us. We are not to make idols, right? Commandment number one. And what are we doing? We're, we're giving homage or worship to someone else other than God. We're, we're going to make God jealous. And jealous in the, is a thought with the Lord. Is he wants uh, us to have the Lord number one in our lives, our first love. What are we going to, are we going to make the Lord like, Oh, this guy, look what they're doing and bring judgment upon us. And then Paul says, are we stronger than he? Like we can take this or whatever judgment or we can just do anything we want without consequences? No way. So Paul's point here in these verses is that by partaking in spiritually dangerous pagan rituals, you are actually fellowshipping with demons and going too far with your freedoms. So by partaking in spiritually dangerous pagan rituals, you are actually fellowshipping with demons and going too far with demons. Crazy. Crazy. But this is where we got to draw the line. This is where we got to be careful. We don't want to connect. We don't want to have experience, you know, and connect that way or be spiritual connect with demons. No. No, it's spiritually dangerous, and it's a dangerous ritual, and it's taking your Christian freedom too far. You know, uh, right before um, Christmas, um, actually it was a couple days or the day before Christmas Eve service, uh, I got a, we got a call, um, and um, I got a call, and I was talking to this girl in Florida, and she was asking for prayer. And I was like, why are you calling Florida? And she goes, well, I used to live in Hawaii and all this. And, but I live in Florida now. And, and I just want to get some prayer. And I, and I figure you, you, the time zone was later, so you guys might be, you know, available more than I guess where she was. So anyway, she was calling. And what she was asking for was prayer because she felt this demonic oppression upon her. And, and she was just talking all this stuff and everything. And, and, and so I said, okay, well, well let, let me pray for you. So I, so I prayed for her. And um, as I prayed for her, and then after I prayed for her and prayed in Jesus' name, after she goes, oh, oh that was so powerful. Oh, I don't feel it anymore. It's gone. It, it, it's, 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 it's not there anymore. And then she asked me this question. goes, how can I not have this? Again, so I started asking her some questions, and conversation basically led to me, you know, sharing about Jesus Christ, sharing about what the Word says, sharing about, you know, you need to get the, the Lord in your life. And she, I said, have you ever prayed to receive Christ? And she's like, oh, I'm not sure. And I said, well, you know what, you could do that right now. So I prayed with her. She received Christ, and I, and I also encouraged her to find one church, you know, and all, all that. Uh, you have a Bible? Yeah, I'll start reading your Bible, do this. And so I instructed her in, in that whole thing. And, and I hung up the phone, and I continued to pray for her, though, because these are real things that happen you know there's demons out there there's people out there and I know that that Satan was gonna not going to leave her alone well a week later now a week later right before New Year's now she called again and she called with the same thing she was like, oh I'm feeling this oppression remember me Pastor Rick I call oh, yeah I remember I've been praying for you and she goes, I've been feeling this oppression I go oh really oh, okay well I can pray for you and then she said this, I have a confession. She said, this psychic called me 
and invited me to go in. And so I went in. And I knew I shouldn't have. It was, he was telling me, uh, inside was telling me, no, don't do that. This is wrong. I shouldn't do that. And I was even telling her in our last conversation, hey, stay away from that stuff. But she, she got tempted. She got tempted because she, she wanted peace in her life. She wanted all this stuff, you know, that's happening in her life to go away. And the psychic, like, offered, oh, yeah, come in, see me. So she went in and saw the psychic. Well, right after that, it all came back. This whole oppression, everything came back. And, 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 and I told her how bad that is, how you're allowing the, the demon back, you know, into your life by doing that. There's demonic, you know, stuff behind the psychics and stuff. And, and so I prayed for her again. She had the peace of God. I instructed her again. I said, hey, I'm serious. Do this. You know, do that. Do this and stuff. And I haven't heard from her. I'm still praying for her. But I'm praying that she's connected with the church. She's, you know, in fellowship and that's it. But understand it's real. You know, if you go to a psychic, in a, in a sense, that's what you're doing. You're giving some money, right? Of course, they want money. You're giving an offering, and you're trying to get a word rather than from the Bible, right? You're trying to get, oh, something, you know, from this spirit there. What are you doing? You're making this connection, this spiritual connection to whatever demon is out there and playing around with all this and making it look like this is real. Be careful. We may not be offering meat to pagan temples here but be careful be careful because you know what there's other ways that we do that yeah going to the psychic uh, getting tarot cards out yeah playing with Ouija boards you know how can you truly be devoted to Jesus if you're flirting with demons how can you really say I'm a Christian and God's my Lord and, and you're not seeking him in, in the Bible but you seek him and you're seeking answers in other ways those are dangerous rituals if you wake up you look at the horoscope is that the word of God no where does that come from I remember when I was small before I was a Christian I'd look in the paper read the horoscope oh it's going to be a bad day yeah and maybe it was a bad day because I thought it was a bad day. I don't know. Oh, it's going to be a good day. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're going to meet someone, you know, give you money. Mom, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, I mean, you know, but some things happen. You go, ooh, and you get chicken skin. But you know what? I believe it's demons out there orchestrating things to fool you into thinking that that's true. And when you read it and when you start believing it, you're giving that offering to Idols. Yeah. How about that little pinch of incense, you know, at the Buddhist funerals, yeah? Oh, well, I'm being all things, all oh, men, that's what Paul says. But you know what? There's a line, guys. There's a line that, it, that we cross. And that's why Paul says, flee, flee idols. Those are dangerous rituals. Well, let's move on here. Don't take it too far. Let's go to number two now. The deciding factor. Number two, the deciding factor. Don't take it too far Don't t with the dangerous rituals. And then let this help you. The deciding factor is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Paul says here, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So Paul says, look, I understand this freedom in Christ. I understand the liberty. We're not under the legalism. We're not under the law. All things are lawful. All things are okay for me to do. And really, when we talk about this, we're not talking about the black and white things of the Bible, right? This is for sure sin, 
yeah, sexual immorality, uh, cheating, you know, lying still. We're talking about the gray areas, and Paul's saying, hey, all these things, hey, it's, it's good. We're, we're, we're free in that, you know. It, 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 we're, we're all right in that way. We're free from that legalism. But he says, you know what, not all things are helpful. Not all things edify or build up others. I mean, we, we talked about this back in chapter 8. Paul said one should not, verse 24, seek his own things, his own good, what's good for me, yeah? But believers should think and seek of other people's well-being. Here again, not, it's not about you, but it's about your brother. It's about the other. Paul says, I'm free in my liberty, but you know what the deciding factor is? Is it for me or will it help? Others Will it edify? Will it build up others? Philippians 2.3, he wrote, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. And isn't this all what Paul was saying from chapter 8 all the way yeah, to this point? That, hey, we should love one another. We should deny ourselves and run that race. We should, we should not give in to the flesh like Israel did. We should give up our, lay down our rights. We should now think of others first, he's saying. That's the deciding factor. It's not about you, what you comfortable, what I'm free about and you guys aren't. No, it's about this other person. So Paul gives the Corinthian believers some real world scenarios here. And this is what we see in verse 25 and 26. This is scenario number one. He says, okay then, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no question for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So number one is, hey, don't worry about that meat that you bought in the marketplace. Remember we learned in chapter 8 that many times the leftover meat from the pagan temple, the priests would take that and sell it to the wholesalers and, and they would be sold in the grocery stores and the butchers and stuff and that's where people got their meat. And that was a way for the temple to be supported and the priests and stuff, but as a and it, you know, so it's left over, and they were usually the choice cuts. Paul's saying, Hey, it's just meat, yeah. So, uh, don't worry about the meat at the marketplace, ask no questions. In other words, don't make it into a big deal. Meat is meat, for you know what, the earth is the Lord's and, and all its fullness. That's Psalm 24 1. He quotes, He goes, Everything belongs to the Lord, and it's just meat, so just eat it, right? It's okay, it's just meat. You know, uh, after eating orange chicken at Panda Panda, right, I like to, you know how they give you the fortune cookies? I like to finish it off with something like sweet, you know, like that, like dessert. And, you know, you, what, what do we all do? You know, we crack it open, we take that little piece of paper, toss it over our shoulder and then litter the floor. No, but we just throw it to the side and we munch on the cookies. Sometimes I will actually read it and go, ah, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, you have a great future in store. I mean, how generic can you be, you know, kind of with your sayings, you know, and everything like that. But, you know, we sometimes joke, or usually I don't even read it. I just eat the fortune cookie. I don't make a big deal that, oh, you know what this is? This is fortune cookie. It's not the Lord. It's evil, you know. It's just a cookie, and I like to eat my cookie, you know, kind of thing, right? So it's okay. Paul's saying, don't worry about the meat at the market. It's okay. Next, Paul gives... Scenario number two, verse 27. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. So scenario number two is if an unbeliever, say someone in your family, you know, asks you to dinner, come to this place and eat, eat what they give you. 
No worries. Just eat it. Just, just eat it. No worries. Ask no questions. Like, what is this? Where did you get this? Which store did you get this? You know, no worries. Just eat it. You know, they, they, they cooking for you, giving you food. You know, just eat it. That's good for kids, huh? You better eat this. Mom made it. Don't, don't worry about where it came from, you know, kind of thing. So anyway, you know, no ask questions. Food is food. Just eat it. No big deal. 1 Timothy 4.4 4 says, Every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. So number one, scenario A, don't worry about the, the, don't worry about the meat at the, you, you know, the meat that you bought at the market. Uh, if unbelievers, number two, invite you to dinner, eat what they give you. Then he goes to scenario number three, verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So if a fellow believer that's maybe there at the family party and they say, hey, I don't eat. Then he says, don't eat it. Yeah. Says, don't, don't go, why did you have to tell me? I wanted to eat it, that teriyaki chicken there, you know. Well, whatever it is, you, you know. Hey, if they tell you that, this other believer says, hey, this is idol meat. You know what? Don't eat it if they turn to you and they, they say that. Well, like in chapter 28, don't push your knowledge. Don't say, well, I'm okay with it. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Show love. Give understanding, right, to this person that has a problem. Like in chapter 8, we learned that maybe they just came out of all this you know maybe they're a new christian and and the idol meat is still you know oh pretty close to the lifestyle they came out before and that lifestyle still was really bad right so paul says hey don't eat it then and it's interesting he quotes psalm 24 again he says the lord the earth is the lord's and all its fullness i think he's focusing on and all its fullness in other words everything belongs to him and we should do what god wants us to do John Phillips wrote, now the issue is no longer one of liberty. It has to do with lordship. Rather than liberty, lordship. I like that. Then he says this in verse 29. Conscience, I say not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by the other man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? All right, this is really hard. Now, verse 29 and 30 is like, oh, I had to read it again and again and read a couple of commentaries and go, what is he saying here? So, so uh, follow me if you can. So when Paul says in verse 25, conscience, that word conscience, I say I'm not, I, I, I'm not ta talking about my own or your own, but that of the other. He's referring to verse 28. When he said, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For that person's conscience, for his convictions there, don't eat it. So Paul says, conscience, when I say that, it's not my own or your own, but it's the other person. Then he says, says basically, for why is my liberty or should my liberty be judged or determined by this other person's conscience? What he's saying, he's putting rhetorically, he's saying, hey, should what I think, you know, be changed and determined by how this other person thinks? He's basically saying, no, I'm not changing what my convictions are. I'm not changing my freedom to eat the meat because of his convictions. I'm not like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, you're right, you're doing that. 
That, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, you know what? I have chosen not to eat the meat. Why? Because I'm denying myself. And because I want to, I can, all things, you know, are lawful for me. But I want to help this person. I want to build him up. I'm choosing to give grace here. I'm choosing. That's what he's saying. It's not that my mind is being changed about, oh, yeah, I shouldn't eat, you know, meat offered to idols anymore. No, I'm not. My mind isn't changed on that. I'm still free about that. But for the sake of that person, I'm not going to eat to help him. That's what he's saying. Then in verse 30, he says, And if I partake, if I eat the meat, even with thanks, you know, even though I gave thanks to the Lord, should there be any reason I am spoken evil of? The idea is, is even if I, I don't have this problem eating meat, I will not eat it um, because I don't want my brother, yeah, to condemn me and get the wrong idea of me. So it's about helping the other person. It's about not who's right or who's wrong. It's about helping the weaker believer we saw in chapter 8 who can't handle that meat offered to idols and maybe be stumbled by my freedom of eating that meat. So, you know, it's better not to eat. Didn't change my conviction, my standing, but I chose to be compassionate. I chose to be gracious. I chose to be loving. So, Paul's point here is the deciding factor with your spiritual freedom is not how it helps you, but how it helps the other believer. The deciding factor with your spiritual freedoms is not how it helps you, but it, how it helps the other believer. That's what it's about. I think we can take things too far by, well, I don't, well, something's wrong with you. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, yeah? Not being sensitive to the other person. We can take it too far. And then what happens? They're stumbled. They're condemning you. They're, they're all messed up about you now. That's going too far. Paul saying, hey, the deciding factor with your spiritual freedom is not how it helps you, but how it helps the other believer. In 1976, during the Special Olympics in Spokane, Washington, uh, one of the runners, a boy, took a tumble during the race at the track and field event. While on the ground... The amazing thing happened. A couple other special athletes turned around, went back to them, helped them up. And they, they like arm in arm, walked or ran as much as they could with them to the finish line and crossed the line together. Everyone in the stadium stood up and cheered loudly for them. Isn't that the heart we should have? It's not about us winning. Oh, yeah, he's down so I can win. Yeah, He's down so I'm, I can be better than that person. Yeah, he's down, then I can feel better about myself. Yeah, he doesn't know. I can just do what I want. No, isn't that the heart we should have to finish together? It's not about me finishing first, about me getting what I want. It's about turning around, going back, and lifting someone up who's having a hard time and getting through this together. Together. Don't take it too far. With your own self, yeah? Don't take it too far. Ah, forget you, yeah? I, I disown you or whatever, yeah? We get in our mind, yeah? How have you been lately? Is it more about you, your feelings, your opinions, what you think? And this guy's, ah, he's, he's dumb, yeah? Or is this about, you know what? Let me help him. Let me be there for him. Let's do this together.
All right, let's go to number three now, the denying of self, the denying self. Don't take it too far. We see number one, the dangerous rituals. Number two, the deciding factor. And now the denying of self. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Therefore, Paul's saying, since it's not about self, in this instance, it's about us helping each other, thinking of others, and ultimately, you know what? We want to eat, drink, whatever we do, do it for the glory of God. We choose to do this to help the other person, to deny ourselves, to think of the other person. Why? To glorify God, to glorify him. So he says in verse 32, give no offense either to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Paul says, I'm not going to stumble. I'm not going to make anyone stumble because of my freedoms. I'm give no offense either to the Jews, the unsaved Jews, either to the Greeks, which is talking about the Gentiles, and who's the other people group in the world now, right? We have Jews, we have Gentiles, us, and then we have the saved, the church. It covers everybody. He goes, don't, let's not stumble nobody. Verse 33, just as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Paul says he tries to please to accommodate yeah, each other the best we can in all things, in all areas, whatever that is. And not seeking what's best for himself, but what's best for others. So why? Many would be saved. Paul's ready to lay down his freedoms, lay down his self, and to be able, so to be able to reach others for the gospel. And that's exactly what he said in 1 Corinthians 9.22. We studied that. I have become, Paul said, all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So Paul ends this saying, ends everything that he's, he's talking about. And he crosses over. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. What a bold statement. I could never write that. Imitate me. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, don't imitate me. I'm not a good example, right? I mean, who can really say that? I think Paul could. We know his life. He's one, of, he's, he's one of my heroes, really, reading and studying his life. But Paul's saying, hey, do what I do. Copy me. See. See what? How he eats with his hands back then? No. How, how, how he walks? No. How, you know, he walks like this. You know, how he cuts his hair? No. See how I deny myself, yeah? How I think of others. How, how I'm more concerned, not about me, but how people can be saved. How I accommodate in different areas other people so they, I can make a connection with them. I could be all things, all men. I could lead them to Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. How I deny myself. Imitate me as an example in that way. Because Paul says, imitate me just as I also. You know what? I'm only, Paul saying, imitating Christ. He's copying Christ. He's mimicking Jesus and how Jesus laid down his rights. How Jesus came to this earth from heaven to die on the cross. And he made that sacrifice of himself. Paul's like, Jesus laid down his life to save us. So I'm just doing what he did. I'm just following in his steps. One pastor says, uh, when, when Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ, he says, in other words, Paul's saying, to the degree that I imitate Christ, you imitate me. Whew. 
Our last point this morning is this. Like Jesus did as Paul does, take your Christian freedoms and let it be all about denying the self, denying of self. Like Jesus did as Paul does, take your Christian freedoms and let it be all about the denying of self. We have that freedom, that choice now to deny ourselves. We're not in bondage of sin in our flesh anymore. Yeah? We could choose, ah, well, I like to do what I like to do, and yeah, okay, you know, there's certain gray areas, yeah, you're okay, but how is it helping that other person? Yeah? We have that freedom. So like Jesus did, like Paul did, take your Christian freedoms and let it be all about the denying of self. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What are you following? Yourself? Your ways? Or is it Jesus? Is it all about you or all about what Jesus wants? I mean, can we maybe in a little ways say what Paul said? Imitate me? Can we be an example to someone next to us? Who is it really about? Can we really say, oh, I'm, I'm trying to be like Jesus? A mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin, five years old, Ryan, three years old. The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw the opportunity for a moral lesson. She told them, hey, if Jesus was sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. So Kevin, the older one, turned to his younger brother and said, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> hey, but it's true, yeah? Is that you? You demand other people to be like Jesus toward you? How about you? While well, you focus on yourself? Well, each one of us are facing a decision on how to live life, you guys. Is it based on me or is it based on Jesus? Are we going too far in our Christian freedom, freedoms? Are we going too far maybe even as a believer? We, you know, we, a lot of times we come to Jesus, he saves us, he cleans our life up, yeah? And, we, and we're doing good and we think, oh yeah, everything's good now. And then we start to drift, yeah? We start to get a little more liberal with our freedoms and we even cross over and go, we go too far with sin. Is that how you are this morning? What do you choose? Will you take now your freedoms in Christ? Will you choose others or will you choose self? Will you glorify God or is it about glorifying yourself? I'll close with this. I heard this article I heard, and it had this headline. This Elvis says he's doing the work of the king of kings. He's got long sideburns, jet black hair, and is quick to say, thank you, thank you very much. I can't do it. <laughs> this Elvis impersonator, yes, this Elvis impersonator is not just any kind of impersonator. This is a 52-year-old Elvis crooning Anglican priest who calls himself Elvis Priestley. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good. Reverend Dorian Baxter wears Elvis or wears Elvis Priestley like robes, sings Elvis gospel tunes and a rendition of blue suede shoes with the lyrics one for the father, two for the son, three for the spirit and your life is just begun. <laughs> 
the, this, this Baxter, Dorian Baxter said, I don't want this to be focused on me or Elvis. I'm thinking, what? I don't know about that. It seems like it is about Elvis. It seems like it is about you. Well, I have to say, in my humble opinion, that's taken that Christian freedom a little too far, yeah, over the line. So you guys, today, let's be like Jesus, lay ourselves down, glorify God, and with the liberties we have in Christ, don't take it too far. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, God, and help us, Lord, to adjust some things in our life. Lord, help us, God, to see things, God. Open our blind eyes and deaf ears, just like how you healed that man, Lord. Help us to see, Lord, where we are going wrong because so many times selfish people can't see that they're selfish. But, Lord, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to carry ourselves like that, blind to our own sins and failures, blind to how we are not obeying your word and in loving one another, in, in helping one another, edifying one another, but most of the time just tearing them down. Lord, help us to be those kind of people that don't take our own Christian freedoms or even, even if we're convicted of certain things we shouldn't do, that we would hold it over each other. But help us to be understanding, compassionate. Help us to see things, Lord, as you see them. And help us, Lord, in any selfish area that we would lay ourselves down that we would think of others more than ourselves, and that in that choice we make, that we would glorify you today. God, I know I am so weak, and, and I fail many times in this area, in my own emotions, and sometimes my own standards, and my own uh, opinions, and, and critiques and stuff. I, I, can, I can be a monster, and Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. And Lord, we all bow down to you and surrender our lives and say, God, whatever you want, whatever you want, not what I want. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. You are king, you are God. And we are open to whatever you want, not what I want. So forgive us, cleanse us, and help us this morning. Help us now, God, to be forever changed. Help us not to take things too far, but live fully totally, completely for you and in your way. In Jesus' name, amen.